had a shorter campaign. Was it Asa Hutchinson or the Penguin, <laughs> whose campaign seems to run about three days, from yeah. what I could tell, in in universe time? <laughs> Welcome to Your Inner Child is an Idiot, the podcast where we look back on things from our childhood and see if they were any good to begin with. My name is DJ. And I'm Damon. Welcome, Damon, to your podcast. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm oh, doing banter. great. Um, it's, it's, it's winter. Ooh, right. You put the, the stockings up? Scarf on. I'm trying to look for something wintry around Right. We're definitely recording this in, in the Yuletide season, there's, so there should be something yeah. at oh. arm's length away from you. Well, it's all being sugar plump. Fumigated. Right uh, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> you can't do that in a standard house. You have to send away for that. Yeah. You can't do it in a metro. Suburban and, and rural areas can do it, but urban areas, you have to send You got to leave. They do the tent around your house. <laughs> to, to sugar plump everything. To sugar plump everything. Here's the thing. It's Christmas time. Yep. The time when Christ... <laughs> Eats a lot, Mossed gains it. a lot of mass. Does and moss. Then, moss more. And then yeah. He lives moss. Yeah. <laughs> and then he goes into hibernation. And then he comes out. Fourth meal. Hibernation Sees shadow. Fourth meal. Sees yeah. a shadow for six more weeks of winter. Yeah. And it's a time when you just want to watch movies with your family because you don't want to talk to them. And yeah. one of those movies might be a Christmas movie. Okay. Okay. So... And one of them might be a sequel, (laughs) sequel to a movie that we've done on the pod. Okay. Cast. Okay. It might be, (laughs) might be a little non-traditional movie wise. People may not think of this as a Christmas movie. It's a, what some people might call a Christmas adjacent movie. Batman Returns. Hey, I'm doing the movie talk. I'm the one doing the movie talk. Uh, Anyway, it's Batman Returns, directed by Tim Burton, 1992, best known for the collector's McDonald's glasses that we had in the Xanthopolis household, where the colors got sort of sun bleached, and you could just barely ascertain what scene from (laughs) Batman Returns was on them. But the top could be used as a Frisbee, except it also had a hole for your straw, so it didn't seem like it was a good Frisbee aerodynamically. I'm not a scientist, but I assume McDonald's hired aerospace engineers to design the the frisbee slash cup lids that came with them it had the bat symbol symbol on it you know what i like i want my promotional materials cheap mm-hmm. breakable yes nearly indecipherable those are my three <laughs> top qualifications also then you're gonna love the lord of the rings collector's goblets that burger king had in 2001 i was like what is this supposed to be i don't think anyone drinks in the movie anything Batman Returns, sequel to Batman, naturally. We've got a returning Michael Keaton. Yes. We've got a not returning Michelle Pfeiffer, in that she's in this movie, but she's not returning it to anything. (laughs) Uh We've got a not returning Danny DeVito, and we've got a not returning Jack Nicholson, not returning in the other way, in that he's not in this movie, but he was in the other movie. Flawless. (laughs) This one we taped off the HBO. I remember... One time realizing that I wasn't as into this movie as I was the previous Batman. Mm. And I remember talking to my cousin Travis in the backseat of a long car ride (laughs) about how I wasn't as into this Batman. And we talked back and forth. It was very nerdy conversation. Then the other Batmans came out 
And I was like, huh, you know, Batman Returns isn't that bad. It is one of those that is better by association. It's the last Jedi of the Batman movies. We're like, you know what? You know what? I guess guess once everyone complained, we got that other one. And I really wish we could go back to the last one. I just didn't like that space chase in the middle of it. That's it. Listen, I'm not here for the last Jedi. (laughs) However, I do agree with you that when the third one comes out, you go, okay. Why did we skip this one? I don't know why we skipped it. We, we did. You wanted to do the animated series for a long time, and yeah. I think we were holding that in our back pocket. Yeah. We may have filmed an intro that we still have yet to use. <laughs> yeah. And I think that just put a kibosh on any future Batman endeavors until that was resolved. The original Batman, and then we did Batman Forever. I'm did not, we do Batman Forever? We did. Why? I don't know. Towards what end? What? possible logic could we ever assign to ourselves it's not something we don't operate that way we do what we want why did we do batman forever episode 99 was batman forever i'll tell you what i remember about this movie specifically we're gonna get some christopher walken oh i forgot about christopher walken non-returning christopher walken (laughs) right in that non-returning in the first way in that he wasn't in the first movie but also in that he doesn't return after this one that's also the third non-returning <laughs> that he doesn't return after this movie that's his character dies i remember michelle pfeiffer as catwoman mm. and she a uh, nascent heterosexuality i imagine a, a little uh memory in your banks yeah, little- certain banks memory banks one might say <laughs> other banks you also might say that's why they called me banksy wait <laughs> Oh, no, you gave it away. They, uh, <laughs> I also remember like when she has her accident, like gets inhabited by the spirit of cats or whatever. She busts out her hello there sign. So it says, yeah, Hell here. Whoa. <laughs> which, which seems badass, but also seems dumb. It's stupid. It seems Hell like, here. It seems like you only had that sign for this bit. <laughs> Because the sign was already kind of creepy. It was weird, yeah. And then, in a like Pee-wee's Playhouse kind of way. And it's like, why would this uh, this mousy woman have this hello there in this terrifying font in yeah. her apartment? I also remember at one point, and I hope this is a thing that's still in whatever version we watch on streaming or whatever, but Danny DeVito as Oswald C- Cobblepot, the penguin, he is visiting his parents' graves and like, you know, crocodile tears trying to get elected mayor, right? He leaves the graveyard and like clearly bumps a like styrofoam <laughs> headstone. And I remember seeing that at, you know, whatever, age 10 and being like, ah, guys, <laughs> nobody saw that in any of the editing process or they were like, ah, what are you gonna do? he's filming Twins 3. I guarantee you they noticed it six months afterwards and like, what are we going to do? Build the cemetery again? Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> you want to reshoot for that? Surely we don't have any coverage from the million takes. <laughs> maybe that was the, maybe that was the best one. Maybe he, maybe Tim Burton is one of those one take wonders. And he's like, yeah, we got it. Whatever. Yeah. What could possibly have gone wrong? This styrofoam is wobbling. I could see Danny DeVito being like, I'm not spending a second longer in this nasal prosthesis. <laughs> These flippers, this makeup. These teeth, I think. Yeah, he eats like a raw fish at some point, right? And his spit is green. That was the other thing I I remember. He's like viscerally disgusted. Yeah, yeah. I like a Danny DeVito. It also, I mean, this is much more Tim Burton-y than the first movie is. In that there's a, to say, there's like a abandoned zoo for no reason that looks just very Nightmare Before Christmas. I just remember he just sort of, 
you know, there's a lot of like these sort of Atlas-like figures throughout Gotham City, these giant male figures like holding things up or like creating city squares. And I'm like, why didn't it look like this in the last movie? They they had a big infrastructure bill go through in Gotham and they decided, I want male nudes everywhere. <laughs> Six stories high. Once Harvey Dent got into office. <laughs> and then it just became a lot, of, lot kookier. And in that sort of Tim Burton, not that the first one's not in a Tim Burton vibe, but I think he, he felt he a lot freer. To, leaned into it a little bit. To go into his own little routes. I mean, there isn't a sandworm or anything in this, but still. I still contend that this is the best of the Batmobiles of all time. Oh, yeah. I mean, they get stupider as they go yeah. forward. They're like, got drills in the front and just fins. Also very wobbly, I might point out, in the Joel Schumacher movies. They're, yeah. The fins are always like... Yeah. And I'm like, why would he have? Why would he have these fins? And then, yeah, I like the the retro like 1940s yeah. style like roadster Batmobile. Ooh, I did have a Batmobile from a Toyetic tie-in to this movie. And what was great about it is that the two sides of it, if you hit a button on top, the two sides would split off, and you have this little the narrow part, which is what Batman uses to get through some very poorly designed alleys in Gotham City. In and just about the halfway point of this movie, two. Fenders, two thirds of his car around. What do you talk? Does he go back like ashamed, like at the end of the night? Sorry, guys. That's tough being Batman. That's his version. That's of my like, Michael Keaton voice. <laughs> that's his version of like blurred makeup, carrying your shoes back, <laughs> walk of shame at three in the morning. The police have to call him. He's like, yeah, there's one uh, in a flower shop, I believe. <laughs> and uh, pedestrians are having trouble crossing Main Street. So if you want to just grab that one, I got, get a chance. I got bat grappling hooks and batarangs <laughs> and two fenders in my alley here. Who's coming to get this? <laughs> are you? I'll just call, conveniently, Wayne Disposal <laughs> Services, and they'll take care for me. They don't even charge me. <laughs> Doesn't seem like a racket because there's no connection between millionaire Bruce Wayne and the Batman. And the guy who has a custom built bat themed <laughs> car. You said all you need to say about the. I loved this as a kid. So I, I have mediocre hopes for this. Here's a little thing about me. I remember being disappointed that the Penguin was not a very. He was always in. 49er costume like pajamas like he's always in yeah. these onesies for most of it yeah furthering his grossness but then when he finally starts running for mayor he goes full penguin and he yeah. has these like giant pussy bows and giant top hats and fur coats and then i was really into it because as a kid when i would get coloring books i would draw suits on the people in the coloring books. Your parents just... No matter what they were dressed as, like Bugs Bunny, I would draw on like a tuxedo over Bugs Bunny. I always wanted him to be in a suit. Your parents there with their little like gay checklist like... <laughs> yeah, that's another one. <laughs> and my dad's like, ah, I don't know, he really likes quoting Big Lebowski, but otherwise it's all in the other column, really. We're going to watch Batman Returns. Watch along with us. We'll be back in a second. get through this without talking about chip shrek oh yeah please i'm gonna be talking about both shrek and chip shrek somebody oh, tyler kept singing that throughout the movie till he got distracted by his phone damon you know how you've inherited great wealth 
from your family. Yes. Yes, we're recording. Wait, I don't want to say that. Don't put that on tape. <laughs> don't say yes, Damon. <laughs> you know how you have trillions uh, from <laughs> the... Ixnay on the rillions tray. From the <laughs> emerald mine that you're... No. <laughs> my apartheid era emerald mine that my grandfather moved to South Africa to found? Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm familiar with my money, yes. But you know how you were disinherited, and therefore our podcast needs the support of our listeners. Ooh, good save. I think you thought it through. Good one. I like it. Go on. Yes. To answer your question, <laughs> yes, I do. I am familiar with the events of my life, Teach. So go on. Keep talking. Damon spent what little wealth he had left over on bat themed <laughs> toiletries. <laughs> He's not a superhero, but he does love bats. But I've got IBS and a love of bats. <laughs> so what I'm saying is we're strapped. You think these microphones just come with a, like a podcaster's kit that every white man of a certain age gets in the mail? <laughs> well, they don't. They cost real money, and we could use your help. Patreon.com slash your inner channel's an idiot. They won't send us N95 masks, but they're sending us all microphones? Sad. Still mad about the mask. We always <laughs> we love our patrons. We're very grateful for the support. If you want to support like them, patreon.com slash your inner child's an idiot. Why I get so sincere at the end? Sorry. <laughs> I didn't notice. I was just waiting for it to end. Welcome. We're back. Rare. Rare. Cat sound. <laughs> we watched Batman Returns 1992. Mm-hmm. I wrote it down this time. Okay. Oh, okay. I thought you were typing something in. I'm actually a court stenographer. I'm in the middle of a trial right now, so if you can keep it down, I'd appreciate it. Damon, this is your jingle mm-hmm. jingle bell here. Why don't you uh, recap Thank this movie you. for us? For the fine. I'm going to assume we're all familiar with the events of 1989's Batman. So, as I understand it, someone lost their pearl necklace in yes. slow motion. And That's then roses were placed. Literally, pearl necklace. Thank you. It's hard to lose a figurative one. It's either there or it's not. You know what I mean? And if it's not there, it's not yeah. a pearl necklace. Those are the rules. It's a che- it's okay. Pavlov Chekhov's pearl necklace. Do I have the right Russian sounding person? No, it's the other guy. Who's that guy with the cat in the box? Pav- Schrodinger. Schrodinger. Not even Russian. Vaguely European. I think we've talked about enough about cum on someone's clavicle for the time being. <laughs> okay so batman 1989 if you're not familiar go watch that we open on cobblepot manor where peewee herman and a very tired looking woman are thinking what to do what's the best avenue to kill their penguin shaped baby they chose sewers that's a vulcan shaped baby he's specifically i mean this is penguin this is oh yeah right penguin Vulcan. You're right. Okay. Vulcan right. spells the V in Vulcan. Penguin. <laughs> Penguin. So they throw him into the river water at the already abandoned they zoo. Go Moses with it. And 33 years later, that's the biggest plot twist. We get Dina DeVito, who is now leader of a clown-themed gang that is starting to terrorize Gotham City. We also learn of Max Shrek, who owns both department stores and power plants. He's very diverse investor he's played creepily by an oddly sexy christopher walken he's 
not happy with the mayor, so he's trying to pull some strings to get the mayor recalled. Wouldn't you know it, he gets in league with the penguin and tries to get the penguin to be mayor. Meanwhile, he also tried to kill his secretary, pushed her out of a window. Luckily, various awnings broke her fall, and she was rehydrated by cats. Rehydrated. Just keep going. We got to keep the the thing going. Have I not mentioned Batman, the titular Batman yet? Well, he's here too, and he's got eventually stuff to do. Yeah. He's bebopping, scatting all over Gotham. He's making out with Catwoman. He's relating to and then not relating to the Penguin. And then eventually he saves the day after being framed for murder. But then I, I assume he exonerated himself. Good on you, Batman. And uh, eventually the Penguin is killed, and he has literal penguin pallbearers but we can get into that later. i think i got 53 percent of the carcass of that movie that's i mean you got the the highlights i think you can identify it yeah. i've got the dental records at least of you the said, movie you said penguin batman catwoman max shrek i mean done and done we can identify this corpse so i think we spoke a little bit about this in the intro but gotham got a little bit of a facelift got a lot more strong men architecture architecture very mm-hmm. yeah, brutalism very like a lot of yeah i mean it, it reminds me of like those like on 30 rock has those art deco like murals of like laborers mm-hmm. you know doing work and it reminded me of that but like in giant statue form rather than just on a plaque on the building it's these giant men just pulling levers yeah. and lifting things up it's very sensuous what does it say about me that I think the meaning of that is like, what are we trying to say here? And I think that's mm-hmm. weird. And if that like just appeared where we live, I think it's really weird. But I also think giant statues are amazing. If the city decided to build a million giant statues of men pulling levers and archers shooting whatever at whatever, I would kind of be like, it's kind of cool. Not to read too much into it, but I also think it's a idea of uh, antiquity and generations past where we would put, you know, giant literal statues up of people of, of either great men or metaphorical men. Now we just put a bunch of sticks or something, you know, I put a like bunch that of- one too. <laughs> That's a Nashville specific reference uh, listeners. But yeah, I also enjoy giant statues. I don't know if these statues are weird. I think it's yeah. just because we see them so much in this movie because I they have a they have a set, they but a I think it's like maybe a block or two of Gotham City. There's like a, a sort of the square where the the Christmas tree is and then a few alleyways built off of that to make it feel bigger, but you see those statues a lot in this in this movie. There's also though, I mean, I noticed this in the scene where Max Shrek escapes from the first tree lighting and he's in an alleyway. And the alleyway just has a head built onto the basement level of a building. And the head, it ends at the like bottom lip. And that's where the street meets the building. And I'm like, why would you build a face there? What is that? It's an incomplete face. Why would you do that, Gotham City? And Gotham City was like, what can I tell you? We're weird. See, I think it is weird. But I also think that's really cool because that makes me think they're implying that it's like buried. And that there's like an ancient civilization. There's more to Gotham than there yeah. used to be. I think that's really cool. Well, Gotham also has like a very metropolis look. Not metropolis, Superman right, metropolis, right. but, you know, German expressionism metropolis. All the buildings that we see at the very beginning are very like skinny and you can just sort of make them out through the fog. It's very kind of ethereal. I mean, he built off of this in the first one as well, but I do like 
of all the Gothams we've met over the course of low these 35 years or whatever it's been, I do like Tim Burton's Gotham the best. I do. I think this and the animated series build on it the most interestingly. Like It's just a really interesting, like stuck out of frozen in time kind of mm-hmm. place. It feels weird to like, as much as I like the the Nolan trilogy and there's a lot to like there, it's literally just a bigger, dirtier Pittsburgh. You know what I mean? And it's just like <laughs> literally in one movie. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it's just kind of like not nearly as interesting as this. It makes it feel less comic booky, which can go both ways, right? It can mean that you can kind of lean into the hyper realism of a Batman movie, which is always like, I don't know, how far are we going to go with this? And then, yeah, but it also takes it away from sort of things that are aesthetically interesting, like the Gotham Zoo, for example. You want to talk about the zoo? <laughs> yeah, I did text you while I was watching, wondering, when was this zoo active? <laughs> it's very weird that I thought that when we were going to cut, I don't know why I assume this, because I've seen this movie at least 20 times when I was a kid. But when it was in the past, when Pee Wee and wife were going to dump their flipper baby into the sea, that we that when they walked through the Gotham Zoo, that it would be at least partially active. But it's not. It still looks just as abandoned as it does in 1992 timeline. So I'm wondering, why is this prime real estate just outside of Gotham City just wasting away? And they didn't even move the animals. There's still a thriving penguin community in Arctic world over there. But I can't, when I was a kid, I did not, as I did not like Gotham Zoo. I was like, I think at the time, my little logical brain was like, no zoo looks like this. Why would they make a zoo look so creepy? Now I do like Gotham Zoo because no one would build a zoo like this. No one would make it look so creepy. Right. Yeah. It does feel like Lydia Dietz's Lydia Dietz from Beetlejuice was in charge of building all the statuary for Gotham Zoo. It's so weird that I can't help but to like it. But I still wonder just what are the city planners of Gotham doing? There's all this nice real estate that you can use in a beautiful crime riddled shanty town if you put your minds to it. But instead, it's just an empty abandoned zoo. And it's not even close to the public. Both times we're in the abandoned zoo, there are people just strolling through the zoo. Yeah. At the end, when the penguin is escaping, he's been found out because Batman plays audio of him. And we all know if you play audio, (laughs) that will ruin anyone's political campaign, especially a populist and law and order candidate. If you play audio of them being a jackass or a hypocrite, boom, it's over for you. This is completely different than that, damn it. Because because the penguin is aesthetically disgusting and uh, one of the most wretched, wretched, vile creatures on the planet. An inhuman skin color as well. <laughs> when he's escaping, so he, <laughs> Batman plays the audio, the audience turns on him, throws lettuce and tomato at him, and then he opens fire mm-hmm. with his machine gun umbrella, and the cops chase after him because he just opened fire on a crowd. I never connected that before. I'm like, he didn't really, uh, all he did was say bad things, and I was like, oh yeah, he did shoot. <laughs> a gun into a crowded, into a crowded group. That's, I mean, uh Point for the police. <laughs> now, to contrast that, when they come, he's he runs away and into the, the park connected to the zoo, and there's just a couple strolling, and the police are just open fire like <laughs> at, at the penguin. And then two seconds later, he's like bowling over this couple, and I'm like, hey, hey, hold your fire a second. Point removed for the police. <laughs> Realism. That's why we come to Tim Burton's <laughs> Batman Returns. 
I also want to say one more thing about Gotham, the city. And I think I talked about this when we watched the first Batman movie. I love that this, like you said, like Gotham seems to be a place out of time, but all the people in Gotham are dressed like it's VJ day. Every, all the men are yeah. wearing fedoras. All the women are wearing like- There's literally like a paper fascin- boy. Fascinated hats. It's so deranged because there are computers and CDs, but everyone is dressed like it's 1947. Yeah, literally. I love it. Sean Whalen, famously known as the Aaron Burr commercial guy. And he's also <laughs> from, I didn't remember him from That Thing You Do. He, he plays like a paper boy, like trying to get out. Oh, buy. yes, yes, yes. Uh-huh. And it was like, paper? What What year is it? I recognized him. I, f- I forgot to look him up, but he's one of those guys that always sort of plays a pipsqueaky character yeah, yeah. <laughs> in various things. The paper boy and the paper is 50 cents. I don't know if that's actually, in retrospect, I don't know if that's accurate to 1992 or if that's a oddly low price. That might be accurate to 1992. I was going to say, that'd be real expensive for <laughs> 40s. While we're talking about sort of set design and costumes and stuff, like the the skull guys are in the first scene. So somehow Penguin has amassed an army. He's like the leader of this gang, the Red... red. Well, he used to be... He, I guess sometime when he was a kid, he joined the circus as like a freak show uh, okay. character. We see that in the... every My favorite type of scene in a movie, the microfiche scene in this yeah. one. Sounds of the Lambs, Batman Returns, get me that microfiche scene, please. Hot f- page flipping action. <laughs> but he has these guys in giant skull helmets that attack mm-hmm. in the first scene and... They were genuinely creepy looking. There's a lot of creepy. Yeah, it doesn't seem like my kind of circus, not to yuck anyone's yum, but that doesn't seem like my kind of scene circus wise. No, thank you. The clown makeup doesn't look like it's done well. It's like if you put really well done clown makeup on and then just fell into a dunk tank and that's what all the clowns look like. They all look like washed out weird yeah. clowns. Yeah. And it looks like it looks like all their little clown suits like have pit stains that have never been cleaned out. It's gross. But yeah, the what is it? The red triangle gang in this? So, that yeah. that's his that those are his henchmen. Do you I like the attempt to explain why he has henchmen in the first place. Yeah. Joker, it's like, hey everyone, we're buying purple jackets and we're all gonna be following this guy. Yeah. We also have to paint our cars green and purple as well. It's a wrap. It's just not as expensive <laughs> as you think. It's difficult. <laughs> but the the it is a little weird to the, it's like <laughs> I thought the Joker was the clown guy, and now we got this sir, but I don't mind it. It makes sense enough. Let's before we get into the main characters of this movie, can let's talk about Chip. No, I feel like we should save Chip since he is like, at best, a tertiary character, but an emotional core for one of our main characters. That's true. So we let's explain the main characters first. We've got Batman. Actually, let, let's not start with Batman because he doesn't appear until like 40 minutes into this movie. Not true, but yes. It's not true. but true. Like he, he's barely, he makes an appearance as Batman, not Bruce Wayne in like a precedent a set that I feel like only gets worse for the remaining Batman in the this yeah. film series. So he becomes less and less of a tentpole for the movie. Yeah, it's it's weird because he's ostensibly our main character. And he's returned. We were notified when during the title cards. It's good to set up the stakes, but it's weird that because this is not really saying like who. <laughs> who is fighting these bad guys until <laughs> Michael Keaton's back as Batman. I like his wardrobe in this one as Bruce Wayne. He's looking, looking fine. 
He's looking good. I did notice something I never caught as a kid, that scene where the penguin first sort of makes himself known in public. He's watching the news and he's wearing a little kerchief. Mm. He's got a sweater button up underneath. You know how I love that. <laughs> but even underneath that, he's got a little kerchief, like a little ascot on. Yeah. Adorable. He's got like a mock turtleneck at one point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. While he's eating his- My favorite of the mock swa. clothing is a mock turtleneck. Yeah. It's like, not committed to the full. Mm-hmm. I can't do a right. full turtleneck. Better than a dicky because a dicky just seems like it would just get stuck in weird angles under my sweater. Like just wear the whole whole just shirt. Wear. Like what specific temperature grade is this for? If you're not going to wear a whole shirt underneath your sweater, and faux cardigan, I'm not going to just button it up. You don't need them sewn up like that. Why add buttons at all? I'll never show you, but this is actually just a half shirt. It's, a <laughs> it's called a crop top. <laughs> If you're familiar with 80s horror movies, many men wore them comfortably. And I'm trying to think of anything. The main thing- He's got those glasses too. Are we still talking about his wardrobe? He's got the cool glasses, so we know he's smart. Yeah, he's a smart guy. The world's greatest detective. (laughs) And how how does he spend his days when he's not Batmaning? Sitting in a dark room, staring down at the floor, waiting for the bat signal to come on. I do like that they showed... Read a book, man. They showed how... Because one of the mysteries of the bat signal has always been, how the fuck... Like, unless you're staring at the sky... What if you're in the toilet? What if you're in the movies? You know, you're you're taking Vicky Vale to yeah. go see... And you and I Superman are inside 3. right now. Like, what phase is the moon? Do you know? Like, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, you're just... I'm not outside. I'm not looking up. What if it's cloudy? Well, I, what if it's not what cloudy? What if it's not cloudy? That's the main problem. But they have... He has a series... A very Rube Goldberg series of mirrors and other lights that flash directly into his eyeballs. If- and I know he he lives on a great expanse of land, but it still feels like someone would catch that. When you have all these lights that shoot into your living room, it feels like you know someone would be outside raking in the middle of the night and say, lights on at the Wayne Manor. Like, why would you have such an ostentatious system? Just call him. Commissioner Gordon, they fixed this in 1966. Just get a fucking red phone and put it on your desk. They do have, I mean, that's what happened to the, in the original Batman series. He had the phone. The like, yeah, oh, that's what I was saying. Yeah. They solved this in 1966. Yeah. They, I thought you meant in real life. And I was like, I think phones oh, no. were around before that. <laughs> <laughs> they being sure. Alexander Graham Bell solved the problem. sure. <laughs> now back I don't want to I don't want to you know counter his claim if I'm not absolutely sure. <laughs> what were we talking about? The system for telling Batman, hey, we got a problem here. Oh yeah. Also, Commissioner Gordon, I'm just thinking of this right now, so bear with me. Commissioner Gordon, oddly, was a first responder in this instance. He's in the first police car that arrives on the scene in Gotham Square. Yeah. How does Batman know? where the problem is. You know what I mean? Yeah. He just saw a light, started driving. It's a big city. They've got a thriving zoo area. Where's the problem? How do you know it's at Gotham Square? He has a police scanner. If you have a police scanner, why do you need the bat signal? (laughs) You're arguing with yourself. (laughs) Batman is one of those. I love Batman, just generally speaking. It's one of my favorite superheroes. We're nitpicking in love. But, well, it is one of those that 
unlike a lot of other superheroes, because it is, it's enough suspension of disbelief to be like, it's a comic book and it's silly, but also he's just a guy. He's a rich guy, right. but he's just mm-hmm. a guy, a well-trained guy. But so like when you start pulling on those threads, <laughs> it very easily starts to be like, wait, this doesn't make any fucking sense, but <laughs> who cares is the, the answer to it. He's got the best Batmobile. I'm going to confirm that one more time. No, absolutely. It is the best looking Batmobile. What's left to be said that hasn't already been said. I do think we mentioned in the in the intro, I think, about the fenders just like falling off and then he's got to go. <laughs> right, because I had that toy. I also had a sudden memory while watching this that I also had two penguin toys from this movie. And I'm trying to think of what they came with because I wouldn't have just bought penguins but they came with the little backpack and the little rocket and the little head thing that you could also remove and then then it's just a fucking emperor penguin toy that you have but i'm trying to think of what they would have come with unless they came with that batmobile but i don't think they did do they come with a penguin like the guy no i don't recall ever having a penguin Hmm. Hmm. we're gonna have to figure that out i did also have a joker that if you put him in cold water his makeup would come off and then if you dried him off his makeup would come back Wow, foundation running action. A lot of plots when I played Batman had to do with Joker having to take his makeup off or putting his makeup back on. Because I was like, well, I got to get use out of this thing. It's a weird feature. (laughs) They do actually drop a line about getting the Batmobile repaired because (laughs) all that happens. And then, you know, the penguin and his goons take over the Batmobile for a while. And he's like, I got to get. Alfred's like, I got to get the Batmobile repaired. It's not like we could just drive it to a shop. Mm-hmm. And then it's funny because. And then we never find out again. I guess Batman's they got like, a new Batmobile in the. You, basically. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they just start sniping at each other. They yeah. actually have a pretty. I'm trying to remember. I think in the first one they have a cute relationship, but I think this one really more establishes Michael Goh, who plays Alfred, and Michael Keaton who plays Bruce Wayne, obviously. They have a really cute relationship, and there are various scenes of... Alfred gets a lot more to do without Michael Keaton around. He does get accosted by the Aaron Burr Museum curator in the newspaper guy, and he gets to complain about the tabloid press. Later, we see him ironing. He basically FaceTimes Batman in the Batmobile, and he's ironing. It's very cute. He also gets a lot of great lines, very, like, overly British lines, like overdose on Britishness. At one point, there's a masked gala at Shrek department stores that Shrek is hosting, despite the fact that Shrek department store was blown up in act two, but whatever. And he goes, remember, sir, tonight is that ghastly party for that odious Mr. Shrek. May we respond in the resoundingly negative? It's very, it's so stupid to say. It's like you had a thesaurus and we're just like, I'm just going to keep adding fucking words to this. Throw on more adverbs. We can't <laughs> At one point, Batman and, and Selena are on a date. Catwoman is also named Selena Kyle. They're on a date and they both have to leave at the same time. And she comes up to Alfred and she's trying to come up with an excuse. And she's like, can you just like make up a sonnet or uh, a dirty limerick? And he's like, one has just sprung to mind, which is also very cute. I love him. What I'm saying is I love him. Yeah, he's very charming. While we're talking about Batman, my favorite thing, I think this is this is at least one of the movies that I'm thinking of. Two things that happen in this movie that solidified. This is the it's one of the cooler looking Batman suits. It's the most awkward because he cannot put his neck <laughs> off. And I think it was maybe a little better in this one than in the first one, but there are two specifically very awkward moments. One, I think it's 
I think they're both Catwoman related. What Catwoman is like going up a fire escape and he looks up like, like me when <laughs> he I, has to bend at the torso. Yeah. Like me when I've got a vertebrae problem. And then <laughs> he rescues Selena Kyle before she becomes Catwoman. Mm. And she's kind of like being a Liberty gibbet. She's kind of like being very awkward and weird and saying weird things. Mm-hmm. And he just like looks at her and just like walks away. <laughs> <laughs> But he can't turn around. Can't turn around, but maintaining eye contact. For some reason, I never noticed the neck problem until Batman Forever. And I think we've also, for some reason, we covered that one, but we haven't covered this one. And in that one, he is flying his little bat wing, which is an awkward thing to say because that's me and my brother's term for when your testes sack gets stuck to your leg mm-hmm. and it's like pulling away and it sort of creates a little bat wing. Sure. Thank you. But he's flying his bat wing and summer it's get hot in the underwear. You know, right. it's anyway, it's hot. <laughs> he's flying. It's a ridiculous scene and I'm just describing something in Batman Forever, the movie that we're not talking about, but he's flying. He sees, I think, Nicole Kidman on the ground Remember, he's in a plane. She like waves at him and he turns whole torso turn in a cockpit, no less, and like gives a very awkward thumbs up. It's one of the most awkward things. And I was only reminded of it because I watched all the trailers to all the other Batman movies after I'd finished this one and they just keep getting worse. Yeah. I was pleased that Tyler couldn't stop giggling during the Batman and Robin trailer. It almost made me say, can we watch Batman and Robin together? There are a lot of ice puns in that trailer, and I had to tell him, don't worry, there's many more in the movie itself. Cool. Hey, everybody, chill. (laughs) It's a bad film. All right, back to this one, which is not Batman or Robin, nor, and a lot of people don't know this, is it Batman Forever? That's true. I think that's all I had for Batman. Actually, not true. I think it's fine to have him lean into the love interest thing that he's, he's very smitten by selena slash catwoman especially when she gains her newfound confidence he meets her like newfound confidence and eyeshadow and eyeshadow and zombie-esque nature and he's smitten by her and i think it's okay to lean into that a little bit but he comes completely stupid he is not the cavalier playboy that we're supposed to know bruce wayne as it's a little weird at times they play into it as a joke when he he hits her as Catwoman because she's been beating the shit out of him and then she goes how could you I'm a woman of course he's like I'm sorry I but later (laughs) the penguin kills a woman right in front of Mm -hmm. Batman because he scares her with bats basically trying to frame Batman she's the model that's supposed to hit the button to light up the screen. She falls onto the button. One of my secret favorite characters, by the way, was the model who pushes the button. (laughs) uh, The the tree lights up, then I push the button. No, that's not right. I push the button. She's trying to remember her her lines. Trying to remember the order of operations for lighting a tree. This movie loves women. And she falls falls to her death in front of Mm -hmm. Batman. Batman, whose whole raison d'etre is saving the people of Gotham, watches someone die and is immediately blamed for it because bats scared her off a ledge and he looks down at then they all point up at him and be like, Batman fucking killed You know how you can see someone from, I don't know, 17 stories down and identify him conclusively? I mean... Batman pushed the ice princess! She still hadn't hit the ground, by the way, when yeah. that guy said that. That guy had already, like, Zapruder over here has already pieced it together. I mean, to be fair to that guy, it, 
Batman's pretty distinctive looking, even from that far away. <laughs> I don't know Who if you've noticed this. He's got quite a distinctive silhouette. Who could it be? <laughs> he is a fucking distinctive silhouette. Yes. Yeah. Batman's one of the next things he does is kiss Catwoman while she licks his face. Mm-hmm. It's very weird. I don't know. I, I I didn't love that characterization. I think it's fine. And I, I think it's fine if he's an idiot, too. But we're supposed to believe both at the same time. I don't think they did a good job of kind of showing that he's letting his guard down a little bit too much. It was more just like pick a lane. I didn't think you were going to talk about the Bruce, the Batman parts. I was thinking of the Bruce Wayne parts where he's almost a complete I can use this term, dork around her. He's just like- That's our word. <laughs> he's just like kind of a mess around her. And maybe it's just not this characterization of Bruce Wayne, but that that's always been part of his mythos is that he's, you know, he's a man about town. He's a playboy. He's a ne'er-do-well. He's a scallywag. But here he just seems like a complete nerd around Selena Kyle. And she, part of it is like, she's got this whole new persona that that puts him on edge. But- it was for some reason wasn't sitting with me right. It felt very put on. And I think the most egregious thing later, they're dancing together at the masquerade ball. They discover as they're sort of intimately dancing and talking that they discover their secret that mm-hmm. she's Catwoman, he's Batman. And they're like, oh my God. But before that, she brings out a gun is like, I'm going to kill Max Shrek. And he's like, no, don't. And then they kiss. And then they kiss this one who's like clearly having a breakdown. <laughs> yeah, that was very odd to me it's as well. Very gross too. To like clearly she is not doing well. Not only are you mm-hmm. Batman, even if you were not Batman and had a duty to, you know, stop this or felt like a duty, just a person taking advantage of this moment to kiss her is really gross. My boner would at least go down by 50%. If if a woman just pulled out a gun and told me she was going to murder a man, I'm sorry, ma'am. Maybe we shouldn't make out right now. What kind of gun was it? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Anyway, that's enough Batman Bruce Wayne. What about you want to talk about Catwoman? Catwoman. I love her in this movie. Michelle Pfeiffer has a very specific thing about her just in general in that she's a very striking and beautiful woman but she's just kind of with a weird lighting and maybe give her some eye makeup that makes her eyes look sunken she can look really weird <laughs> and in the first act when she is the more mousy nerdy selena kyle she's believable as this kind of uncomfortable unconfident woman She's kind of always like kind of shaking. She's a very timid voice. We're introduced to her perfectly in a scene where Max Shrek is having a meeting with the mayor. He's kind of trying to strong arm him into supporting this power plant, which we can get into that plot point (laughs) if you want to. But she's introduced. She's just the shot is on Max Shrek as he's talking to the mayor. And we just see her arm come in like almost severing his head from the rest of his body as she like refills his coffee. And you saw her see her like messy bun, like librarian thing going on. It's so great. She's so timid and she's like asking everyone if they want coffee, but she's trying not to interrupt anyone. She's like, oh, I love her in that whole scene. And then we see her go home. What's great about her is that when we see her by herself, she is like remarkably funny. She calls herself a corn dog. Self-effacing. She calls herself a corn dog that makes fun of herself for calling herself a corn dog of all things. When she is rescued by Batman after he sort of 
backs away. She's then joking, like, another successful interaction with a man. There's no men in my life. And then she turns to the man, the Red Triangle gang member who has been tased and is lying unconscious next to her. And she's like, but then there's you, but you need therapy. It's very cute. It reminded me a little bit of myself, how I like to talk to myself. Yeah, I found her overwhelmingly charming. And then there's that whole scene where she's she gets home and you know she's listening to her answering machine and she's talking to her cat, talking about her cat's sexual escapades. It's very winning. I think it's a great like character introduction for her. Probably of the three main ones and Max Shrek, I think she gets the best introduction and I feel like I immediately know who she is. And I think that's a lot to do with Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, I like the last message on her answer machine. It's from herself saying like, <laughs> if you're listening to this, you have to go back to the office because you forgot this thing. Mm-hmm. And she's like, shh, like she has to go. I did like that. I, I will say- Even before she gets the main bulk yeah, of the message, she when she hears her own voice, she's like, ah. Her voice is a lot more normal too. She's not putting on her mousy airs because she's talking yeah. to herself. And I will say though that this movie suffers a little bit from the- like this pretty girl wears glasses. She must be a <laughs> it's like, yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer, what a little like home. One and ugo. She's so homely. Yeah, it's very <laughs> I feel like they do a good job. I don't think they ever really call her homely, but she's just like messy Disheveled. and so uncomfortable in her own skin in those first yeah. scenes that I think they sell the idea of that everyone would just sort of look past her. I don't exactly understand some of the mechanics of her supervillain or anti-hero origin story because she <laughs> she's pushed from a window. What's the problem? She's pushed through a window. She has her fall semi-broken by awnings. Like but, six or seven awnings. Yeah, but I feel like that would stop your momentum. It's the good. ground pretty hard. So the presumption <laughs> is like the way it's framed is like she's dead and she's revived by a bunch of cats who come and chew on her fingers. Oh, I always forget that there there is this like semi-cute thing where the cats are like sniffing around her, but then it cuts to one cat like gnawing on her finger and like cuts back and there's like blood and it's kind of unsettling. And then she like wakes up with her, you know, big Michelle Pfeiffer eyes. Yeah. And she wakes up. So it's like she's a zombie. That was one of her nine lives. So it's like, did that give her her extra life power like she and then she <laughs> she can all of a sudden flip all over the place and fight and like i think all of that Pulled is her own against batman yeah there's one ex- exactly one line that she says about the guy who was going to take her on vacation and then he leaves a message saying he's not she's like i shouldn't have beaten him in that last game of racquetball so we're supposed to presume that she's athletic Oh, I didn't even read that much into that. I just thought that sometimes her confidence comes out and it turns guys off. Right. And so she's learned to be more timid. Anyway, I don't need I don't need a whole like origin story, but it is it is framed as like kind of supernatural. And I think that's fine, but we don't get a whole lot more explanation. It's just, it's just a little weird because then you're kind of like, I always want to know. This is not normal, and nor should the movie actually do this. But I want a list of her powers. Like, that's what, I want. <laughs> what are her cat powers? Like, what can this villain do? And <laughs> what are the stakes? She apparently knows how to work a whip. That's part of her cat powers, as every cat owner can attest to. Your cat can whip things, can flip consecutive flip. Yeah. Yes. Consecutively, and beat the shit out of a man in rubber armor. 
Yes, I mean, her her origin story is very supernatural. I feel like the awnings are almost added to, like, give it some credence of, like, well, she didn't hit the ground as hard as she could have. It is a... I don't hate it, though, but it is a, is a unique touch in this movie where there is this confusingly, like, supernatural, like, the cats have brought her back to life. And then she has another great scene, which I might nominate for our Sally Field scene of her returning to her apartment after having been quote unquote killed. And she does everything in this like, hi, honey, I'm home. Oh, I forgot. I'm not married. And just sort of like walks around in a daze. She feeds her cat again. Then she starts drinking the milk. And then she gets more voicemails from Gotham Lady Perfume, which are very problematic. I feel like even for 1992, (laughs) problematic. Where it's like, oh, put it on. Your boss will be inviting you for late night meetings over candlelight. And then she has a psychotic break and decides to do some angry crafting of her own skin tight suit. Apparently she had the whip on hand. Yeah, just had that. Ready to go. I like that as well. She also has the creepiest sign that I still, that's the thing I need an explanation of. I'm like, was this a gift for someone and you need to keep it up so that you know, they can see like, no, I love my hello there sign in creepy Ren and Stimpy font. Why wouldn't I put it up on my yes, wall? Yes, Grandma, I still have my neon <laughs> hello there sign hanging in my bedroom. Which she busts up the O and the T to spell hell here. I might have said that during the intro, but it's one of my favorite wow. images, I think. Even though it makes no sense, hell yeah. here, ooh, so spooky. It is a great image where you see her coming out in silhouette in her newly made skin tight Catwoman suit. While that is a leap of logic for me, I do appreciate that as the movie continues, her cat suit just continuously gets shabbier and shabbier because it cannot withstand all the various falls and trips and killings from other characters that she she has to suffer through. And by the end, like her hair is all coming out and she's right. just like busted. That suit's busted. It, yeah, it's, it's real messed up. I might have to have an alternate choice for the... Uh, single scene Ooh. because her whip work in the department store right before she blows it up. And there was a, uh, like a YouTube video or, or something on the social media going around of like, not that long ago showing like the behind the scenes of her actually doing that. And then the crew like erupting in applause after. Was it her, her or was it like a stunt woman that they hired? That to part do was her that like when oh, wow. whips the, uh, I mean the, like the mannequin, the three the, heads. Yeah. The mannequins were like rigged to, for their heads to come off but like she actually is doing that whip work and actually worked really hard on it apparently that's awesome it's pretty fucking cool. the only reason i would not second that as the scene is then the security guards come out and they're like gross yeah they they say i don't know whether to shoot or fall in love although they're partially rescued because she's about to like whip them like yeah. hey lady our take home's only 300 a week yeah. and she's like get out of you're here you're overpaid get out you're overpaid get out of here yeah. i do kind of like that part there's a lot of getting into that a little bit. I don't know if we need a whole problematic corner because it's just, yeah, let's get in there. Let's get in the problem. Come on. Come on. Come on. Ooh, watch out now, y'all. Demons got a problem, baby. Ooh, watch out now, y'all. Let them know about it. I put out blankets. Your favorite beanbag chair is still unoccupied, so feel free to, to get in there. I think the misogyny is the main problem with this movie. <laughs> Who's our villain this time? Misogyny, as usual. It's, it comes out in uh, the characterization of Catwoman, the way that it gets a little bit of a, a small pass f- 
for some of it because it's mostly from villains. Oh, uh, Penguin is really lascivious and really disgusting and harassing. He's also an arch villain. So right. we're not supposed to root for him, but it's also like you can tell it's gross, especially if you have to supposed to have some sympathy for some of these characters and you're just kind of like these are this is the worst. Now, Max Shrek is even more arch, I would argue. Yeah, so I don't know. What what do you have to say about that? I just was constantly reminded of like yeah, this is the mainstream 1992 opinion of women's progress. Is yeah. like, uh, we'll have her quote a Helen Reddy song, I Am Catwoman, Hear Me Roar. We'll have some awkwardness with hitting a woman. We don't know what to do. So we have that awkward exchange. She's like, how could you have a woman? And then, But then she follows it up with, I'm a woman and can't be trusted. Is that what she says? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I'm like, what? This is obviously a woman written by men. Yeah. Then you got all the 1992 comics being like, you can't even hit women anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it used to be back in my day. You could hit a woman, but now you can't. They'll cancel you. It's just no, it's just, you can't even get around it anymore. Where did this blazer come from? (laughs) You're right that a lot of the worst lasciviousness comes from the Penguin himself and Max Shrek, who are villains, but- Yeah, a lot of her dialogue. I mean, the fact that she's like on the verge of a breakdown all the time, that she literally has a psychotic break. She seems very unstable. Whereas in the comics, she's just like a jewel thief, right? She's not like a put upon secretary. Yeah. And you've got tiny little glimpses of her, like, you know, being finally confident in herself, but it's like connected to her being fully psychotic. (laughs) Right. It's not terrible. It's not the worst we've seen, I guess I could say that. Right. But yeah, it's it's not ideal. But I think that it's obvious that Michelle Pfeiffer's having a fun time, so it yeah. doesn't bother me too much. But yeah, it's worth noting. Yeah, let's get out of here. Okay, back to our normal round-shaped room. Ooh, watch out now, y'all. Demons got a problem, baby. Ooh, watch out now, y'all. Let them know about it. It's round. You know it's round. (laughs) It has no corners. That's why we have to go to a separate room for the problematic corner. You want to talk about Max or the Penguin next? Let's do Penguin. Penguin, now you might need to help me with the Penguin in how how he appears in the comics. I've always interpreted him before this, mostly because I only know him as Burgess Meredith in the Batman series and and movie from the 60s. He's sort of like a gentleman mobster. He's... Got a silk top hat. He has the big cigarette and a cigarette holder. He's got the monocle. He's always like dressed to the nines, waistcoat, trench coat, spats, probably a pocket watch. If I had to, if you put a gun to my head, I would definitely say a pocket watch. He often wears a tuxedo, which yeah. kind of looks like a penguin. I don't know if you knew. Some people call them penguin suits. Yeah. I don't. I'm not that type of person, but. Because I respect the tuxedo. And then after this, of course, most recently we had Colin Farrell where he's back to like, he's more of a mobster, like outright mobster, but also back to that like tailored 1920s style mobster with spats and a pinstripe suit and all that stuff. Here he's gross. He looks like if toenail fungus could become a living, breathing person. Danny DeVito is also, again, having a lot of fun playing him, I think. He has a drooling problem and that wouldn't be as much of a problem if his saliva wasn't green. He has blood, a long huh? And blood too is green. Like later. Well, his blood is green? Went later. Oh, yeah, his uh, yeah. yeah. And Dean DeVito is I think 4 foot something. 
Um, he's not svelte, but they've also padded him out so he's almost like a perfect sphere. Yeah. He looks like that character from, I think, Sesame Street. He was like a little orange man with a top hat, and he was like a perfect spear, and then he had these little stick legs. Yeah. I can't remember his name, but that's what Danny DeVito looks like because he's got these little stick legs and these little arms and then almost a perfect sphere body. He's gross, and for most of the movie, he is in like a 49ers outfit. Yeah. Like he's wearing a yeah. onesie pajama thing and then just like a loosely fitted fur coat on top of that. He's gross. He looks like he smells. Of course, he lives in a sewer. I kind of like this characterization. Uh, yeah, I don't it's, know it's how it's interesting. Feel it's an interesting. It is disgusting. Everything about <laughs> it is intentionally disgusting. Like he eats, you know, raw fish, and we get close up. Oh, I forgot about the fucking raw fish. He bites the guy's nose, so it's like gushing blood, and mm-hmm. right in front of Jan Hooks. And it's like, come on, she doesn't deserve that. No, she also doesn't deserve him be leering at her either. Yeah, then he makes yeah gross statements, and I think the origin story. This is not the origin story. I don't think from the comics. I don't know the penguin that well from the comics because that was kind of like not the era that I read. I'm sure the penguin made some appearances, but it wasn't like he yeah. wasn't like a big villain as much. And yeah, he was always just like a guy with like a pointy nose who was like a gangster yeah. who dressed up and then kind of. I mean, even the flippers penguin. aren't part of his no they, in the they comics to make, either, right? yeah make him more of like he's got some deformities when he's born and his parents are disgusted and then send him moses style down into the sewers <laughs> but not to free the jews just to die <laughs> yeah although he does come back and he takes all the firstborn children of god which is oh you've hit DJ Mazeltov to you, that is a very good connection, actually. I was going to talk about him being the inverse of Bruce Wayne, Bruce Wayne, whose parents were killed in front of him. This time, the parents try and kill their own kid, Mm. but they're both from like, you know, esteemed rich families. And rather than turning to a life of vigilantism masked as virtuousness, uh, we see the penguin just becoming a gang leader, but also trying to destroy. The status quo of Gotham, which seems commendable too, if without all the child murder. Yeah. I don't support his child murder policy, <laughs> but I do support his exposing Max Shrek policy. He gets it done. The trains run on time. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the child train, <laughs> the literal child train. Did, oh, I have a point about that later, but I don't want to get too sidetracked. But man, the firstborn thing, you are right on the money on that. Yeah, it's. There's something there. I don't know how intentional it is, but I mean, some of it's intentional, but I don't know how like deep it goes. I mean, Moses does. I mean, God, of course, does it. But I mean, Moses is the uh, conduit for that 10th plague, which is also not to come down on Yahweh too hard. But (laughs) according to Exodus, like Pharaoh was ready to let the, the Israelites go like on the sixth plague, but God is like, no, I like a big round number. My point. Harden his heart, please, because I've got some children to kill. What do children have to do with a dictatorial, you know, inherited monarchy that Egypt has? Very little, but I just want to kill them. You might want to watch your mouth because Yahweh listens to this <laughs> podcast. Oh no, and he's one of our patrons. Sorry, Yahweh. God tier, literal God tier. <laughs> I think that whole approach to his origin story is interesting. Also, it's implied that he already knew who his parents were. And so it's like, is this a scam? I don't exactly know the scam of that. I think it's just to get to like get. He wants those names. He that's his, that's his plan. I was, I didn't catch that the first time I watched it, but when I was rewatching it today, 
there is that scene where Batman starts to doubt Penguin's good graces and drives by the Hall of Records and sees the Penguin working deep into the night. This line confused me, and I wonder how you interpret it. He says, I think he knows who his parents are, which always just went right over my head as a kid and in my first viewing of this. I took it as he has now figured out who his parents are. But Bruce Wayne, I think, is saying it as he's known who his parents are. He's doing this for some other reason. And that's when he starts to distrust him. The movie doesn't really go into that or explore that at all. So I was curious, what? Does that mean Daniel Waters, screenwriter of Heathers and Batman Returns? But yeah, it's a, it's a weird... And Demolition Man, don't forget, he also wrote Demolition oh, Man. Oh, how about that? Because it is, I think, canon that those are his parents. At the beginning of the movie, we do see... We don't... Do we? See, I don't know if we see their names, but... No, is, we see... The, the, the there is a okay, yeah. cobble pot over the, so the gateway. Those to the are house. his parents then, like confirmed by this movie. So it's just... He's just sort of trying to make it a thing to get the sympathy of the public so that when he runs for mayor, I guess. Yeah, I, don't know. I guess. It's, it's kind of weird. I don't know. And this mayor plot, I'm trying to think who had a shorter campaign. Was it Asa Hutchinson or the Penguin, <laughs> whose campaign seems to run about three days, from yeah. what I could tell, in, in universe time? I'm just being mean, but it is something I noticed this time where... I- I was really aware of how many days are actually passing because it calls attention to itself because it's Christmas time. So right. I know we're on a limited timeline right. because celebrations for Christmas start in late August. So time's a ticking. Even the Penguin notes are in elections held in November and is this not late to, or early December? So that's cited as well. So it's going to be a recall election. So they want to recall the mayor and then put the Penguin in. It's so quick though. He has one speech where yeah. he's immediately... <laughs> outed as a monster Howard and Deaned. runs into <laughs> it's basically got Howard Dean. Yeah! Instead of that scream, it's him saying, him Gotham's. saying I've played the pinhead puppets of Gotham. Yeah. Here's, I think to my larger point, I think maybe the weakest part of this movie is that the penguin isn't that great of a villain for Batman. He's not physically imposing and every plan he tries to enact is foiled Almost immediately? I don't know. He does hit a bunch of people with a Batmobile. <laughs> oh, that's true. Okay. That is that is a that is a big thing. You're absolutely right. Just kill the, the princess of the Christmas tree or whatever. He does, but I mean that's not I guess Batman doesn't foil that. I'm thinking of he runs for mayor and immediately they fe- jam his frequency and that stopped. The child kidnapping train where we're going to murder and drown all these kids. The train doesn't even like get six kids in its cages before Batman's here. Like, hey, guy from Ghost, I'm stopping this train. Did and then like, show, they like off screen. Like, yeah, you just, like show he up sends like, a card, which is a very Nepo baby thing to do. Yes. Send a card with your insignia at the top saying, I regret to inform you the children are unable to attend. That is petty. And I appreciate that about Batman. That he knows the power of a card and stationery. It's a lost art. Strongly worded. (laughs) And then also the nuclear option, which is apparently sending adorable penguins into the middle of town to shoot rockets at everyone. That is also foiled immediately. It just seems like he can't even get one plan off the ground to threaten anyone. And then when it comes to fighting each other, are you scared at all that the penguin's going to land a punch on the Batman? I do think it was an underutilized character trait that he's very gadgety. He seems to have some 
proclivity towards built because he builds all these crazy umbrellas. He's got mm-hmm. the, and one is a like personal helicopter. He's got the little things that <laughs> go on the penguins. He's got the thing that takes over the Batmobile. He's built all these like contraptions. Yeah. but we don't mm-hmm. see him ever taking credit for that or like being the gadgety person. We just see them like, like he has them. He so, has gadgets, but we don't know where they. Came yeah. From. So I mean, I think there's there could have been something there to play with against Batman's gadgetiness you know of like he's got an anti-bat spray or whatever to play into the movie (laughs) anti-shark spray i think you're right i think that when it comes down to i think part of it is that catwoman is like an emotional core of this movie and she takes a lot of that oxygen away from penguin i think also them as like dual villains together I think this was always like an issue with the Burton-esque, I'll call them Batman, which is these four Batman movies, where they always try and get as many villains in there as possible, and it never always gels. This one gels the most, but it's still, when they actually decide to unite, I'm like, why are you two getting together? Why would you? First off, he's a creep from the minute he meets you. He's like on you. And then- That whole scene of them deciding to work together is so fucking weird. It's just, it feels like they had already written the part where they're working together and they're like, now we have to come up with the part where they decide to work together. Follow a bird. Uh, Yeah, yeah, it's a weird scene. Apparently Penguin's really into feet, or at least her feet, and he's leering at her. She tries to eat his bird. It's all very weird. And also, like, he already had the plan in place, like, to take over the Batmobile. Yeah. And then later we see that she didn't know that he was going to kill the Ice Princess, which gives her some pathos. Like she realizes she's kind of into the deep. She was more into property damage all the time, just blowing up a giant department store. Did you see when the terrible rag, the tabloids, Selena and Bruce are walking by when they're on their date (laughs) and it says something about Batman blows it or something. And then he's like, Batman saved at least, you know, $50,000 in property damage or something like that. And I was like... That that checks out. Rich guy. <laughs> Here's <laughs> property. Also, I'd like to see the the numbers you crunched to say that you saved any money. Property damage concerns don't seem like Batman's brand. No, that's not a comic book hero's thing. <laughs> that's the least the <laughs> thing they're least concerned about. Well, now we, we've just been talking, talking, talking. Let's get to Max Shrek, because I feel like he is our secret villain. He is our Saruman the White that's just hanging around the outskirts but is the true villain of this movie. Christopher Walken plays him with his classic, halting, Christopher Walken style. Hey, his look at him. Sleepy he's, eyes. It's all wrong. Uh, first off, I know I've said this about everyone. This is every, He also seems to be having a great time playing Max Shrek. Almost completely irredeemable. His, I will say his love for his son is a little bit redeemable. Almost. Although I feel like it comes in a little too late because... <laughs> And his son's being threatened in the first scene. He's like, dad, go, dad, go. Yeah, he does this. He's like, dad goes, <laughs> dad fucking leaves. So I was like, oh, he hates his son. The, his son. Okay, let's just talk about it because it's the it's the horse in the room. That's not the phrase. We meet Max Shrek, as I said, during that scene when, when Selena's giving out all the dad, coffee. Dad, go save yourself, dad, go. Dad, go. It's obviously basically me playing... <laughs> Doing a fucking Christopher Walken impression. It's so distracting, especially in this post Jay Moore world that we live in, where everyone has a Christopher Walken impression up their sleeve. Not the least of us, not least of which you and me have one ready to go. But it's obviously, he doesn't look anything like Christopher Walken. It's just like some beefy guy. I think it's actually the guy who played Zangief in. Oh. 
Street Fighter, and I also know him as Butterfinger in Hudson Hawk. But apparently he had a serviceable enough Christopher Walken impression that got over the fact that he looks nothing like him. And he just, he's in like three total scenes. Every time I'm just like laser focused on him, like, what's he doing? What's his face doing? He looks like a Dick Tracy villain. He looks so weird because they've put a wig on him to like try and give him like the Christopher Walken, like, ah, and then he's doing this impression. It's so weird. But then later at the end when, what's his fuck, when the penguin Penguin. is gathering up the firstborn of Egypt, he wants to get Chip. Like that's his golden goose. Too many metaphors. (laughs) And he tries to kidnap Chip. And I was so distracted. I was like, I wanted him to kill Chip because that would have been so perfect. Like, yeah, kill him, please. But instead, Max Shrek is able to, I guess, actually does love his son. He's like, nah, take me. Who's the one who ruined everything? Max. Yeah. Charming. But Chip is deranged. I mean, I, I thought it was so distracting and terrible that eventually it lapped and I would want no one else playing Christopher Walken's son, but this guy playing him. I kind of like the the fail son <laughs> as a character too, like the Donald Trump Jr. of Gotham City. But it's more like the uh, the guy from SNL's Eric Trump impersonation, where he's just like just just sort of smiling and miming whatever Donald Trump Jr. saying. Yeah, yeah, it is a little on the nose. He's obviously like he's not that interesting. Okay, we don't get to know him all that well aside from being Max Shrek's son. But it's obvious that Max Shrek wants this stupid power plant, this schemey power plant what have you, to be his inheritance that he gives to Chip. Right. As if money weren't enough. He wants to give this power plant, this is his legacy, and this is what he's going to pass down to Chip. Let's talk about the plan, because his plan is to- We don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but yeah, go ahead. His plan is to build a power plant that absorbs power from the power grid, basically steals and hoards power from Gotham, which is- a very common scheme for a department store magnate, I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. What? I remember Kastner not tried to do that. Both <laughs> Kastner and not, I assume. Jonathan Macy, yeah. Jonathan Calvin Penny also probably tried that. Maximilian Sears. <laughs> thing. Roebuck, he fought against it, and that's why he's not part of the Sears family anymore. They, see, Max Sears chopped him up, threw him down the sewer, and the penguin found him. <laughs> Same thing. That's what inspired this character. Barely trying to read about it. Selena figures out this plan. She's like, but she's saying in a way, she's like, I like how this plan. She says it like confused because she, even to her, like, it's like almost like as she's saying it, she's realizing like, wait, this doesn't seem like a good idea. Yeah. I was, can I push back a little bit? I don't want to be a Shrek apologist. I just like his stance on border walls. But this doesn't sound like a terrible crime. They state various times during this movie that Gotham is currently in the midst of a power surplus. I don't know what that means. But it means that they have more power I know than they need. And I guess they power. store the electricity somewhere. Sure. That for later. Like in a in batteries, I guess. I capacitors. Yeah. In a capacitor. Yeah. If you have a surplus, wouldn't you want someone to s- store the the power to be used later. Now, obviously, I think the implied thing is that he's going to resell it back to Gotham or, or it's going to be sucking too much power away yeah. or something. Yeah. But to me, I was like, I think you might need to explain a little bit more about why this is an evil plan. <laughs> it seems sensible to my ears. The two questions I walked away with were, what exactly is this plan? And two, does Batman have to rip his mask off every night? Like 
peel? Does he buy a, does he build a brand new one? Was there not a way for him to take the mask off without ripping the rubber? That's a great point. And it doesn't really go into that in the lore here, but I think that's handled in the manga version. Of <laughs> the novelization. The yeah. Yeah. I did appreciate that the Penguin is a law and order candidate, that he's going to, wow. I mean, I feel like every time I hear about someone being like pro law and order, they're always the slimiest bastard you've ever, you know who else was a law and order candidate? Richard Milhouse Nixon. Of course he was. Uh, I did like that a little touch. Anything else I have to go over? I just want to say the Ice Princess, not only her great line about she gets the order of the tree wrong, mm -hmm. but later in the first lighting of the tree that is sabotaged by the penguin, when she comes out, she just sort of does like the car model pose and the guys in the audience are whistling and she says something like, how do you like that? About her own body, I guess. She just says, how do you like that? It's so stupid that I immediately fell in love with her. Yeah. And I can't wait to see her on The Real Housewives of Gotham City. I assume had she survived, she would have been on that. That's all I've got. I also, okay, yes. I don't have much more. I just want to get some little things that are bothering me that I only caught in this, my 25th viewing of this film. Bruce Wayne, when he sees Selena Kyle, when he goes to his meeting with Max Shrek, where Max Shrek is trying to get Bruce to become an investor in this power plant, what have you. He says to Selena Kyle, we've met because Batman, him, yeah. saved her during the Red Triangle Gang He's stupid early on. He's and I'm like, how bad are you at this, this thing that you, you chose to have an alter ego? How bad are you at this? <laughs> so that, I was like, you're just a shitty superhero. You're not good at this. Jan Hook's gets a great line that I never heard when I was a kid, but she says, she's one of the- Image consultants. Image consultants for the Penguin. And she says, our research shows us voters like fingers. Because <laughs> she wants to put little gloves on yeah. him. That made me laugh to beat the band. <laughs> he's not into it. He's just growling. And then and then she says, oh, come on, we'll just do that later. <laughs> Jan Hooks, gone too soon. RIP. Here's something else I noticed. This is just me being my logical self- Selena Kyle sends herself back to the office to get more information uh, about Max Shrek and Bruce Wayne for this meeting. And she says, I came back to get information, to pull some files for your meeting with Bruce in the morning. The movie then proceeds to have at least two days pass. We see a day cycle and a night cycle. We are introduced, the penguin saves the mayor's baby during this period. The mayor, I, I think his, his mayoral campaign, or at least Max Shrek introduces the idea of a mayoral campaign to him. And then Bruce Wayne has this meeting finally. I feel like it was probably just at some point they were like, we want to introduce Catwoman sooner than this. We want to introduce Catwoman before we introduce post-Catwoman Selena, and they probably shuffled something around, but it very much felt like a scene that had become untethered to where it was supposed to be originally in the script. I did notice that because I think on the answering machine, she says Wednesday, but then in the, when she's in the office, she says tomorrow, which we don't know what day it is. It seems like, because why would she you would have Wednesday? called herself that day? Yeah. And you would have said tomorrow. You wouldn't have said Wednesday. So mm -hmm. it's probably- And if it's Wednesday, like, what's the rush? Just do it tomorrow. Yeah. That's true. You already fucked up. The Penguin is 33. Yeah. That's Look, weird. Looking bad. For this age. <laughs> I got a big boost of morale for myself. I was like, I think I'm, even at 40, I'm looking better than this fucker. <laughs> Pee Wee Herman, the late Pee Wee Herman. Also, he plays Oswald Cobblepot Sr. or whatever. He plays the elder Mr. Cobblepot. 
I just want to say this goes to Max Streck being or a Christopher Walken having a great time. There's right before he quote unquote kills Michelle Pfeiffer before he kills Selena Kyle. He's sort of backing her up against a window because he finds out she had she figured out his terrible password for protected files. And she says, I'm just a secretary. And he says, and a damn good one. And she went too good. And he goes, eh. <laughs> and it made me laugh. I, yes, he's implicated in Natalie Wood's death, but I just think he's allegedly, no one's convicted him of anyone, anything, but he's funny in this movie. Even when he's the worst of the three villains, and he is funny. When he meets, when he sees Bruce Wayne at the gala, I feel like Bruce Wayne's always going to galas. I can't remember what Bruce Wayne says, but Max Streck just goes, yawn. Like this very like petty, gay yawn and walks away. <laughs> Do I have anything else? I think I have. That's everything. Let's go to the verdict. Let's go. Wait, two more lines I like. This one actually I say in real life, but I mean, I curate it to the event. Because he is Batman, you moron. <laughs> when she says that she delivers it in such a straight face, like laconic way. I just like it when uh, Michelle Pfeiffer is angry in this movie. And when the penguin is about to die and he picks up the wrong parasol and he says, shit, I picked the cute one. But you can barely understand what he's saying because the green capsules are pouring out of his mouth. <sighs> Sorry, DJ. Yes. What do you think of this movie? Okay. Your inner child is an idiot. No, this one did not hold up for me in a way that I was kind of hoping it would. Twist. I feel like you've been overall positive, or maybe I haven't been listening to you. Go ahead. <laughs> it's more of the second. No, I think it was, the dialogue is awful for the most part in this movie. I also enjoyed Danny DeVito's general performance. Like he does not have very many <laughs> good lines like he has good delivery of bad lines and even i think michelle pfeiffer is doing her best with what she's given batman is characterized as kind of stupid i do like alfred i do agree that christopher walken does a good job i would think overall i like the performances in this but as a movie it didn't hold up as much as i thought i'm gonna say you're in a an idiot i think let it be if you're like enjoying this in your mind right now i loved this growing up I loved 1989 Batman. I love this one. Just let it be. Don't go back to it. Doing, Tim, what about you? I'm kind of on the same page as you. I think it's kind of a sloppy movie. It feels very like slapdash at times when you're trying to piece together plot points. But I will say I have lived however many years of my life never having noticed those holes in it until I watched it this time really critically. I love it art direction wise. I just love Tim Burton's version of Gotham. Even when we get to Joel Schumacher, who feels like a watered down version of this, someone trying to impersonate someone else's style and it just doesn't hit the same. I feel like I agree with you that the dialogue can be a little rough. It feels like everyone's constantly explaining things and it can be very clumsy. It feels very 1992 men's perception of feminism rather than an actual vision of what it's like to be a woman in a situation akin to this. Not necessarily a woman becoming a Catwoman, because that doesn't happen all the time, Hail despite what Halle Berry's Catwoman would have me believe. But it does, it does seem like, I feel like we could have gotten some better dialogue. But I do think that the performances sort of gloss over how clumsy the dialogue is 
I feel like this movie got a really bad rap when it came, or I think after the the bloom had like fallen off the rose, there was sort of a, a backlash to this movie. No, that's the song that, from Seal and Batman Forever. <laughs> the bloom of the rose on a grave. And then I think that's what got us the Joel Schumacher, like Technicolor neon green movies that yeah. and we were like oh no i don't i don't like that did i already compare this to the last jedi in our introduction did i say this is the last jedi of this like oh no i shouldn't have complained as loudly as i did because i definitely didn't want you what you prepared next not like this no no batman no but i feel like i'm just gonna tip over into i do enjoy this as a movie it's got a lot of problems in it. And you can see like a direct line to the campiness and the silliness that becomes like the next two Batman movies. But I think it's just on the right side of enjoyable for me. So I'm going to tip it there. Tip it there? What the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? I love when I have a point to make, I stammer like Bob Newhart. And then when I am saying just fucking nonsense, I get it out in one go. <laughs> What do you think, everybody? Email us, your inner child is an idiot at gmail.com. You can text us or leave us a voicemail, 615-576-0525. I want to thank my friend Russ Weaver for the use of his song Top of Two for our ad music. I want to thank Jackson has an unhealthy obsession with Damon for Damon's Problematic Corner theme. I forgot to thank call you. it Damon's Problematic Corner, but... Is it my corner? I thought it belonged to the world. I feel like it's kind of problematic for me to claim ownership over it. You keep trying to pawn off the Problematic Corner, but it's your Problematic Corner. <laughs> I'm the one with all the problems. <laughs> we also want to thank our patrons for supporting the show. Thank you very much to Just Cuz. Lindsay Halleck. Scalphosaurus. Wait, do we do uh, Walkins? Oh my God, of course. No, we should do Chip Shrek. Okay, good. Because that's, that's a mark I can make. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's like when you lower the basketball goal for a kid. Like that's yeah. what I need. Yeah. Or you put the bumpers up during bowling. That's I can do Chip Shrek. I can't do Max Shrek. Is honor the mayor. Shit on the cartouche. Zachary Hartley. <laughs> what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was all Zachary, wrong. Zachary, that's not your fault. What happened just then? It was all wrong. Ah, Karen Gerd. The elusive Fan Gromkin. Ah, Dad, David Mord is here. Jackson... He's got an unhealthy obsession with Damon. What the fuck? I can't, what is, I lost that it. is that was getting into Stallone I territory. What was that? Lindsay Nell. You do that. I'm gonna do Batman. The zesty. Oh, now I have to do walking doing my Australian act. Demon's Australian accent. James Taylor. Particle Man. Caroline Amberson. Jeremy Powellin. Beth Sermont. T. Smith. Heather Duggle. Loritza Maestro. I'm going to get just more Christian Bailey as I go along. Yeah, you're, you're slowly descending. You're actually linking them. Lanes. The supreme ruler of this podcast. Travis Vance. Josh Frigo. Dramatically placed. A dog. Captain Jean-Luc Picard. He's Jonathan, a good impressionist. Jonathan Day, answer me. <laughs> Tommy Boy is Damon's favorite movie. In the hands of fate. And uh, Dr. Um, Malcolm's, yes, uh, heaving bosom. Thank you all very much, and sorry. Dad, uh, go! <laughs> Dad, Dad, go! Dad, go! Thank you so much for your support. If you want to support like them, patreon.com slash you're in a child's an idiot. We want to just let you know, at the end of the show here, we are taking a little break after the holidays. 
We'll be back shortly with some new episodes and some fun stuff to celebrate our 200th episode. <laughs> look out. That's a lot of episodes we've devoted our life to. You don't look a day over 151. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that, but I know it is a lie. We appreciate you listening, and we'll see you again when we come back. Do you know in the original cut of Batman Returns when he says, Dad, go, there's just a shot of Christopher Walken running in place before he can actually get enough <laughs> momentum, and then there's a cloud in the shape of Christopher Walken? Just a hair. <laughs> All right, now you you have to tell a spooky oh, no. Batman tale while I play the Batman theme. What is this? I'm sorry, the spooky Batman tale? The hell are you talking like like oh he reached onto a, a car handle and you looked and it was just Batman's glove there? Whoa. Or you hear Where's my golden batarang? <laughs> exactly. Oh, I forgot to talk here. Here's what I will talk about. Here is a creepy Batman tale. Because when I rewatched this movie, I remembered a, a memory that I had stored That's all in my little theme, so my backle cortex. And it's the poodle woman who is announcing the countdown. And she's very, Tyler said, I thought it was a recording. And then I realized it was a person. She's talking like this, five, four. At some point, all the Red Triangle gang realizes like they just the dip. game's over. Let's yeah. get out of here. And all you see the clowns like sort of sneaking away. Yeah, like but she's like in this, <laughs> they kind of do appreciate like the keeping up, committing to the bit clowns. But she is like in this announcer station where, you know, they used to do shows for penguins, I guess. And she just, backs into the shadows. And I remember as a kid, I didn't like that. Mm. I found that unsettling. Yeah. What do you think she's up to? Well, she probably sounds, like gross. her like, bags the, are back there. Doing? But what she didn't what? mean for it to be creepy. She just didn't turn on a light. And yeah. now it's weird. I don't know why she backed in. Maybe she has like a setup like Batman where she couldn't turn her head. So she has yeah. to just sort of back away. That was her vibe too when the her dog catches the battering and wants some more. And she just kind of like walks away. Like I love her. I love her. She, she had like, well, I was about to say she had no lines, but I was just describing a scene where she had copious lines. All right, goodbye. Ba -na -na -na.